so good morning to you. Um, the, the men are uh, locked and loaded back there, so we are going to use the Bible. Uh, raise your hand if you didn't bring one and you want to be able to read along with us. Uh, they'll stick a Bible in your hands. If you like that one, don't have one, keep it. That's fine. Uh, we'll get some other ones. That's a great thing for us to spend our money on here. Uh, make sure that you got one of those. We'll be going through it in a little bit. My name's Brad Beers. Um, we have a lot of visitors with us this morning, uh, some completely new folks. Welcome. Uh, I am not the one who normally speaks, so if you don't like it, that's fine. Give it another try some, on some other week. Um, uh, I am, I'm one of the elders here, which essentially just means that I get the opportunity to share in the teaching and leading responsibility here at the church, but I do so at no cost to you whatsoever. So you are welcome. And <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait till you hear the message. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm incredibly happy to be here. I'm happy that Jesse gave me the opportunity to speak. Uh, Jesse has taken a much-needed week off uh, to be able to rest, and it's been a fantastic thing to be able to, uh, to partner and to have this opportunity to speak with the first service. So um, I'm excited to talk to you about something uh, that I believe is hidden in plain sight, and that's what we're going to discuss this morning. What we're gonna, I'm going to talk about a couple of different passages as we kick it off. Um, the first one that I want to discuss with you is uh, John, give me the power. There we go. John 4. You remember the story in John 4 with Jesus and the woman of the well? It's a fantastic story for a variety of reasons. It's fantastic, not just because it's in the Bible. It's also fantastic because there's all kinds of things that happen in that story that don't happen the way they should, right? Jesus is talking to somebody that he shouldn't be talking with during a time of the day where she shouldn't normally be there, and the conversation does not go the way that anyone would anticipate the conversation was going to go. All kinds of unexpected things happen here. We're not going to spend our, the majority of our time here, but I want to share with you a component of that story by way of introducing our idea for the day. As, uh, as the conversation draws to a close between Jesus and this woman, uh, the woman sees Jesus' followers who had been in town kind of buying some supplies coming back, and she probably gets a little bit nervous because there's a, a larger crowd that's coming in that direction. She knows she shouldn't be there. She knows who she is and what she's struggling with. So she decides to leave. So as everyone that normally follows Jesus is showing up and finds Jesus there, and they're a little curious, why is Jesus talking to this gal? This is not going the way that it's supposed to go. Somebody decides, all right, let's just focus on the practical. And somebody shouts out, hey, Jesus, we got some food, right? We, uh, let's, let's go through. We hit up Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, and, and we brought it back for you. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Text tells us that everyone is kind of doing this. Did you, did, did you bring food? What, what, where's he getting food? There's no, there's no food sitting around. Everyone's a little confused. Jesus gives them an explanation, which he doesn't always do. He says, the, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Yeah, that might sound all super duper high and mighty and, and very churchy language for us, but one thing I want you to see in this picture is that Jesus shares with his followers that life is more than what you can see. Or right, if you have to go transformer version, more than meets the eye, right? Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, uh, I have kids. Uh, it's, there's something going on that you don't always necessarily see. And 
once you become a student of Scripture, and I really hope that that's the direction that you're moving in in your relationship with God, you realize that this idea shows up all over Scripture. I'm going to save us the time and not necessarily go through every single one of those passages, but maybe another one that you're familiar with comes out of Ephesians 6.12. Remember Paul saying this in his letter to the Ephesians? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual powers of this world. Paul telling us that what's going on in the physical world is only the surface of the true story. By way of introduction, what I want to do is is introduce this idea in a different way. I have a video that I want to show you. Some of you may be familiar with this kind of video. Uh, If you are, please keep your mouth shut. Uh, If you are not, just enjoy it for exactly what it is, and then I'll be back to explain it in a moment. Fire away. We can stop it there by way of explanation. Originally, this experiment was called the gorilla experiment. Uh, you may, if you're familiar with this, you've been exposed to it before, where even more boisterously, a person in a gorilla suit comes out into the middle of what's going on and does a little ape dance and then steps off the screen. And the, the question is always, did you see the gorilla? The reason why I selected this version of the experiment is because of this. When Jesse asked me to speak, it was a few weeks back. Uh, He was kind of looking forward to the future. He does plan ahead, regardless of what the rumor may be. And he uh, he asked me to speak, but he told me what I hate hearing. uh, Just find whatever it is that you want to talk about and just go ahead and talk about it. I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) And so I'm inevitably left with starting with the process of prayer. God, what is it that you want to say? Because whenever it is that I speak, as much as I may want to put in as much effort to make this as excellent and well-produced as possible so that it's not a distraction to you, all of that is a moot point if you do not hear the word of God to you. That is what I want to try to do this morning. And so I asked him to show me and guide me through the process. Now, I told you that I don't do this for any money, which means that I've got to do some other stuff for money. And in that other stuff that I do for money, I'm exposed to a lot of different situations. And what, was not- what I noticed as I'd begun praying is that I couldn't get out of my head that over the last month or so, maybe six weeks, 
we have had two odd suicides in our town. And they're odd, not necessarily insofar as that they were suicide. I mean, I'm sure you probably know that suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death for Americans in general. Uh, For teenagers specifically, it is the second leading most cause of death behind car accidents. Suicide is prevalent. We've seen notable suicides in our culture. Uh, They've made the headlines. It's not necessarily that they were suicides. It was that typically I have come to expect suicides from younger folks who don't quite have the understanding of what's going on in the world around them, and they act impetuously, and and they make the decision to end their lives. What was notable to me is that both of the suicides that I had to, had to deal with over the last six weeks were, f- were from men in their late 50s and early 60s. Men who pretty much had everything. They had the right clothes. They had the right cars. They had people in their lives that loved them. They had successful careers. They had all of these things that you would typically say you have so much to live for. And yet, for whatever reason they saw suicide as the only way out. Now, suicide is not necessarily what I want to talk to you about this morning, but as I began to meditate on that idea, I realized that I wanted us, and I'm going to speak specifically to those of you who have decided that you are going to follow Christ, okay? I recognize that there are people in this room that you have not yet made that decision. You are completely welcome here, and please feel free to stay along, but I am going to, I'm going to talk specifically to you who have decided to follow Christ this morning. And I want to pose the situation to you. If somebody came to you and said, I'm thinking of ending my life, what would your response be? I think most of us kind of go to the natural, well, you have so much to live for. Well, what about those who don't, who have nothing, who live on the street, who are drug addicted, who who have no money, have no job, have no prospects, have no family? What would the answer be? Or even more difficultly, at least in my mind. What if a dear friend came to you, a dear friend who had just, uh, or who had been living with a diagnosis of some type of terminal disease that was causing immense pain and difficulty with that individual's life. And now in the state of California, it has become legal for that individual to turn to the medical profession and say, kill me delicately. And this friend is coming to you saying, this is my plan. What would your response be? I think the reason why so many have difficulty answering this question is because the meaning of our existence has become hidden in plain sight. And I want us to spend our time this morning refocusing on what's really happening beneath a lot of the things that we can see. In order to focus on that, what I'm going to have you do is take that Bible that you now have and turn to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, we're going to focus... I'm going to basically break a major rule that you would normally... So for any of you who are hoping to speak in front of a church at some point, um, don't speak... The the general rule is don't speak on a giant passage of Scripture, uh, but I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, And and the the goal of speaking in that, uh, speaking that length of a passage, is because I want you to see the whole context in which Paul responds to this situation. I want you to see Paul's way of thinking in his letter to the Corinthians so that you can see the the full picture and not just pulling out a phrase and kind of camping on that phrase for the whole time. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to read some chunks as we go through, and we'll stop along the way, and I want to point some things out to you. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians 4, okay? In 2 Corinthians 4, we find verse 16 says this. So, we do not lose heart. Stop. Okay, so before you move forward, before you continue to read this morning, I want you to have this question in your mind. What keeps Paul from feeling hopeless? He immediately starts in verse 16 saying, we do, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Stop there. Here again, we are exposed to this reality that you and I are surrounded by all kinds of things that can capture our attention. But all of those things that we deal with, that we see regularly, are the transient things. The things that are eternal are often the unseen things. What keeps Paul from feeling hopeless? He tells us that our, quote, light momentary affliction is preparing for things of eternal worth, that the difficulty that you're going through now is preparing for something of significant eternal value, which is very hard to remember when you often are going through life seeing the things that are in front of you, right? We are so often distracted by so many different things. We are paying attention to how often the ball is getting passed and when you find out that the answer is 12 and you guess 12, you're like, yes, I got 12. I was paying attention. I got it. My attention was there. And you missed the most significant thing happening. Now, I don't blame you for it. Please do not hear the entirety of this message as me saying, guys, you got to shape it up. All right, let's get it together here. I'm speaking as one of us that I get so easily distracted, that I have a tendency to focus on the transient things, not the eternal things. But Paul turns to start giving us some hope in 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's, uh, let's read from here. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, stop, the tent that is our earthly home. Paul is going to use this example, this analogy, as he moves through. And the reason why he's going to do this is probably, uh, he probably has a variety of reasons. One, most biblical scholars uh, believe that Paul actually supported himself often through his missions work by tent making and tent repairing. That was something that he knew. But what has he just shared with us? That often the things that you and I see are transient a tent, friends. I'm sure most of you in this, in this uh, room have been exposed to the idea of real camping. I know some of you grew up in the RV era, and I apologize and weep for your souls. But for those of you that still hold to the tent camping motto, or at least can remember back when you used it, 
Was the tent your temporary or your permanent home? It was your temporary abode, right? That's where you laid your head for one or two or three days while you were out there recreating, and then you went back to your permanent place of residence. The tent for Paul is a reference to the body that you and I deal with on this transient but almost everyday basis. Paul uses this temporary abode as his example of what's going on underneath that surface that we see. Let's go back to the text then. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our earthly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There is hope. Let's stop there. There is hope for those with physical affliction. There is hope and an answer and a purpose for those that are struggling with physical affliction. Friends, I'm sure we're all familiar with it in some way, shape, or form. One of the things that's great about this church is that it's not just filled with a bunch of 22-year-old vigorous ski stars, right? It could be, but uh, that would make it for a very difficult place to talk about how our bodies are all broken because they are the, in the virile prime of life, Right? It's also filled with a variety of those of us like me who yesterday decided in a moment of less judgment, of like less wisdom, to allow myself to sit on an inflatable intertube behind a ski boat and be pulled at Mach 5 until my body decrepitly exploded into the water and I came up with my neck permanently like this. If you've had this experience, you know what your body feels like. And all I was doing was sitting on a tube. My body broke. Fortunately, it's still kind of working. But I'm sure you've probably had these experiences, right? Problems with your stomach or problems with your eyes or your limbs or whatever the case may be. Problems with diseases and, and diagnoses that you were not prepared for. Problems with difficulties that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, experiencing it all in this tent that we spend our time in, there is hope. There is a purpose for it. We need to drive forward in the text to understand a little bit more. While we struggle with these difficulties it's so easy to say that we would rather be with Jesus. Paul wants us to ask, so why do we remain here? Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? 
to please him. To please him. Friends, we're already treading in foreign waters, right? Can we just be honest to say that, number one, that's probably not my daily inclination to figure out how I can please God. But certainly, we live in a culture to which it is very foreign that I ought to live my life in such a way that would please another and not myself. Paul says that the manner by which we pay attention to that, to that focus of pleasing God, verse 10, we recognize that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is not necessarily a super popular idea, right? That we're all going to be held accountable for our actions, for our words, for our interactions, for our relationships, for the way that we use our money, for the way that we use our stuff, for the way that we use our time. Each of us are going to be called on the carpet, so to speak, and evaluated through that process. Praise God that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need not fear that being a wrath-filled moment. But I, I have a sense that in that moment, we won't even need God's wrath to be the, the scary thing that it is because we will see the waste of time that was the majority of our lives. For we spent it in the wrong direction. Okay, so we've exposed ourselves to the fact that what we ought to be doing, despite the fact that we recognize that we're all going to be held accountable, what we ought to be doing is figuring out how to please God. So the question is, what must we do to please Him? What must we do to not waste our time? What must we do to make this life have any type of meaning whatsoever? Paul will answer those questions in a moment. A word from our sponsors. Pick it up in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Hold on to that idea. I have a feeling we're going to be coming back there. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. If we're beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. Let's stop there. You have to kind of understand the context and the rationale for this section of the text. You see, one of the primary reasons that Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians is that though he had been there to help establish the church, after he left to go do some work in other areas, that church had an infiltration of individuals that the New Testament often makes reference to. People that came in and said, you know all that stuff that Paul had been telling you? Well, that's good stuff, but we've got the best stuff. We've got some more stuff that we want to add to it. 
And they, do, they would do a sales pitch, right? You, you've now heard Paul's message, but listen to what we got. For three easy payments of 1995, we will tell you the missing component of Paul's message. And people are going, well, obviously, if it's only 1995, it must be a deal. And so they would pay these people to get this secret message only to be led astray from the real gospel that Paul had shared with them. And Paul had the delicate responsibility to figure out, how do I directly tell these people in Corinth, those people are leading you astray, but at the same time, not look like he's trying to just be defensive and protect himself. That's a difficult spot to be in, right? Have you ever been right and someone else is wrong in an argument, and everything is screaming inside of you to just win that argument and make the other person look stupid so that you look awesome, right? Don't you do that? Apparently, I'm the only one that struggles with it. <laughs> so uh, what's difficult about that, cir that circumstance is to try to expose somebody to the truth without making it look like you're trying to beat them down and that you're trying to win and be the victor. Paul had that responsibility as he was writing this letter to the Corinthians. And as he's interspersing his main point here, he's referencing the reality of, look, I have brought you the original message from the get-go. I have actually been the one that truly loves you and wants you to succeed and wants you to actually follow Christ. I have made no money off of you. I did not pursue gain while I was with you. Instead, I shared with you the message. And the message was how to please God. The message, starting in verse 14 again, was that the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I've had a lot of opportunity through the years um, to put on different apologetic seminars, and apologetics is simply uh, the process by which Christians defend the faith and give reasons and rationality for the, the things that we believe. It has not been uncommon in my experience to be confronted or asked uh, about people who have a hard time with the concept of miracles, that it doesn't seem like if God was real, it seems like he would be doing miracles all around us. But, uh, and then we have these other stories of like magical things happening in these third world countries, and it's not making a lot of sense, and people ask for some form of explanation about that. My answer, as you can probably guess, is normally fairly long-winded, but it has a couple of different parts to it. The first part is you say that miracles aren't happening in this culture, uh, how do you know? Miracles may indeed be happening in this culture. Just remember that the media that typically provides the information that helps you understand what's happening around you is financially driven. So if there's not money to be made by telling you that Aunt Jenny's cancer completely vanished one morning, they're not going to spread that information. And you may not hear about it. But let's set that aside even though that may be the case. Let's set it aside. Why is it that maybe in these third world countries, these magical spiritual things seem to be happening, and in our culture, they just don't seem to happen very often? I don't 
want to tell you that I know what the answer is, but I'll tell you what I suspect it is. I suspect it's because the spiritual warfare that Paul references in Ephesians, remember that passage? We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual powers that that spiritual warfare does not need to take this giant Chris Angel-like magic show form in our culture for people to be led astray because we've got all kinds of other things that are way more important, like this guy right here, right? Look at what Paul says here in verse 15. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for whom? What is Paul assuming that if we are not living for Christ, the only person for whom we are living is this guy right here, the guy that stares back at you when you stare in the mirror? It's not very difficult to become distracted upon my needs, right? I have all kinds of needs, and all of them are very important, right? And it's very easy for me to be focusing on my needs. Think of that moment that I shared with you in John 4. Jesus had sent his disciples to go get food, which probably implies that they didn't have food, which probably then causes us to be able to infer Jesus was probably hungry. You ever been hungry before? In our family, we have, a, we have changed the word Hungry to hangry. Are you familiar with this term? It's, it's all, it also uh, is coupled with the diagnosis of psychoglycemia. There are, it is very easy when one finds oneself very hungry to be thinking about the needs of other people. All I'm thinking about is how can I get stuff shoved in my face so that I can feel normal again. And Jesus, instead, when the guys bring back food, says, I'm not hungry. That's weird, especially for those of you that like food. That's weird. Jesus pointing to a reality that he was able to recognize in that woman with whom he was discussing the probably the, the most important discussion of her life. He was able to set aside his own needs and have that discussion with her in that moment, even though he was probably experiencing hunger just like you and I do. Because he was not living for himself. He recognized that what it would take to please God would first require him to say, it's not going to be about me and my needs. But Paul says more. Second Corinthians 5, starting in 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard who? No one. Let's, let's make sure that that's clear. We regard who? No one. no one. How many people do we then, do we regard according to the flesh? None. Zero. That would be zero for those of you that uh, struggle with mathematics like myself. That is, that is zero. We regard zero people according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Stop there. How can we maintain the task? How can we not live for ourselves, but recognize that we are to be living in such a way that pleases God? How are we to find our purpose? What do we need to do? We start by recognizing that we are to regard nothing according to the flesh, looking only at what can be seen, looking at that transient component is what will cause us the most problems. Yes, all things are new in Christ, but we have an opportunity. Have you ever tried so hard to break a habit? I don't know if you bit your fingernails or said um while you spoke publicly or played with your hair or et cetera, whatever it might have been. I don't know if you ever tried to break a habit before. But what's the worst thing you could possibly do in the process of trying to break that habit? Well, okay, <laughs> starting another bad habit, so trading one bad habit for another. I'll tell you, the, the worst thing that you can do when trying to break the bad habit is think about how much you need to break the bad habit, Right? Right? I, I don't want to bite my nails. I don't want to bite my nails. I don't want to... Right? And then they go in and you, the beaver takes the nails back down to where it is. And then tomorrow, you're just going, okay, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Right? Right? Or if you ever talked with a friend or are going through this process trying to kick cigarettes or whatever, and they're trying to, trying to figure out, like, I need to solve this problem. I don't know how to handle this. I really could use a cigarette right now. Right? And they think through that process and it's so... The, about the hardest thing that we could possibly do when we're trying to break a bad habit is to think about what we need to not be doing. And what I love about this passage is we, as we are diving into trying to understand what it looks like for us to have purpose and to have direction and to try to understand what we ought to be about, where Paul does not leave it is going, well, just don't be selfish. Just don't live for yourself, but live for God. He starts to answer for us what this looks like and gives us what we can focus on. I stopped right before it. Verse 18, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's the gospel you've heard, right? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I don't know how he does it. I don't know if you've ever been in that circumstance before where you're trying to train somebody how to do something and it's taking everything inside of you not to just overtake what they're doing and do it because they're doing it all wrong, right? Have you had that experience before? It's so hard for me to be, into that, be in that experience and just and let it happen. And yet God loves doing that. God loves taking broken people whose bodies don't work correctly and are completely heading in the wrong direction of success. 
God loves taking that, the emotional mess and all your pain and all your scars and all your inabilities and mashing it into one thing that is called you and giving you the responsibility of spreading the message of reconciliation. He provided the reconciliation, but then is having you spread the message to other people. It doesn't make sense. If you were going to try to plan this out on your own, this would probably not be the strategy that you would choose. And yet God loves doing it this way. God loves using you in all of your brokenness and your inabilities. What does he call you? Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who represents one certain country's interests and motivations and goes to some other area and shares those interests and motivations. An ambassador is somebody who is a representative of that other country. Friends, you are an ambassador in a way that I could never be. You represent your own respective country in a way that I never could. You represent the kingdom of God to insert your life here. What does that look like? You are the ambassador on the golf course. You are the ambassador in your unique families. You are the ambassador to your little children as they are driving you crazy. You are your ambassador to your neighbors. You represent the kingdom of God. God has chosen you. What? Yes, you to spread the message of reconciliation in these respective places, your unique little niche. As we try to figure out what our purpose actually is, we see that we remain here to act as ambassadors. We are the representatives of the kingdom of God. We are the ones to spread the interests of the kingdom of God. We are the ones telling people, God wants you back. That's what reconciliation means, right? God has chosen you, ambassador, to tell people that simple message, that God wants you back. As we have begun our evening, I'm sorry, our morning, trying to figure out what it looks like for us to have purpose. We ask ourselves, what, is it, what does it look like to have a purpose and a direction? What does it look like to not waste your life? Your life will feel like a waste because you will spend so much time trying to fill the hole that's inside of you that no amount of riches or travel or experiences or friends or loved ones or sex or power or position will fill that hole because that hole was created by our separation from God. God wants you back and he has chosen you, ambassador, to do it. Now, 
a thing that I didn't have written in my notes that I feel like was one quick thing I wanted to add to this. What does this actually look like? It may not. Don't hear me saying that what that means is that every conversation is going to result in your opportunity to share the gospel. You need to be strategic about the way in which you go about this. Remember that God is the master of the long play. Remember Abraham, right? God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Abraham later finally has his first son. How much time elapsed in between his first statement and him having his kid? A long time. Good answer. (laughs) Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25 years. Did you mess up in that conversation with your coworker on Thursday? Good news. You're still breathing. Still woke up this morning. And if you do tomorrow, and that coworker's there, new opportunity, ambassador. What if you duffed it on the golf course with that guy? Good news. God doesn't have a problem with you playing golf. God actually might be calling you to play golf again. Good news. (laughs) Good news on a variety of fronts. (laughs) Brad, I don't know what to say. Brad, I don't know how to be. Brad, I am bad at this. Brad, if I start talking about God to other people, they're going to realize how much I have screwed up in my life. It's okay. I recognize that not all of us can be the Forsyths and the Grants and perfectly portray Christ in every single opportunity that is presented to them. But for the rest of us mere mortals, God loves using broken people. He loves it. He doesn't just tolerate it. He loves it. In all of your inabilities, in all of your things that would cause you to be voted less likely to succeed in your yearbook. He likes taking those and using those in your unique ambassadorship to spread the message of reconciliation. Life's real purpose has become hidden. You ambassadors are still breathing because it's your job to strategically make it clear in your homes, with your families, in your neighborhoods, with your neighbors, in your workplace, with your coworkers, on the ski lifts, on the bike trails, on the lakes and the hiking trails, at play dates and dinners and barbecues, you no longer have to live for the depressing focus that is living for yourself. You can join with the reconciling God in his mission to save the world. You can have a purpose. You can do something. That's what we would do if we were exposed to that situation where somebody is saying, I'm thinking of taking my life. What we want to do is look beneath the surface to try to understand what is it that's going on with this person and sharing with them that God wants them back. But not only that, that once they are reunited, that God then will endow that person with a purpose that will be more meaningful than that person ever could have imagined. Ambassador, your purpose is clear. Nothing else will satisfy your efforts this week. So we need to leave with the clear understanding that you represent the kingdom of God.
As the guys come back up to be able to respond to God in music, Justin is going to share with you a song that he put together that really takes this idea and hopefully drives it home in the form of music such that you can recognize that you have something more to live for this week than yourself. And if you mess it up, that's okay. God can probably use it anyway. Let's go and do that. So this is a song that I wrote at a time in my life whenever I was feeling really convicted. Knew that God was calling me to do music, but I was wanting to still stay in that comfort zone that I had. And so this is a song about mistakes. It's a song about regrets, but it's also a song about a father's love. And it's my prayer today is whenever you're leaving these doors that you're encouraged to do one thing, and that is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This song is called Your Hands and Feet. steps to where you are because I feel so far I feel so far I look to you in times of need but where am I when you need me to be your hands and feet I will follow you my friend Follow you to the end. In my darkest nights, you'll be my light. In my darkest days, you'll shine the way to where you want me to be. Like you spread your arms across that tree, I spread your love you gave to me. Your hands and feet, your hands and feet. There are times when I can let go of where I've been and remember where I am. I will follow you, my friend. I will follow you to the end. In 
In my darkest nights, you'll be my light. In my darkest days, you'll shine the way to where you want me to be. Like you spread your arms across that tree, I spread your love you gave to me to be your hands and feet. Your hands and feet is what I'll be. I'll take you everywhere with me, and they will realize it's not me they see. darkest nights you'll be my light in my darkest days you'll shine the way lord to where you want me to be like you spread your arms across that tree i spread your love that you gave to me 